Would you join me now as we pray together? Father, I'm grateful to you today, and I'm thankful for all that you do for us and in us and through us, things we don't even understand and things we don't even see and certainly things that we are so ungrateful for. We just take them as normal as though we deserve them. Thank you for life. Thank you for our friends. Thank you for our family. Thank you for our relationships. And thank you for all of the conveniences that you put into our life. Thank you for all of the material things that we enjoy. Thank you for the variety of foods that we have to eat and how plentiful that they are. Thank you for the medicines that keep us going and treat conditions in our lives. Thank you, Father, for the transportation that we have. Thank you for the homes that we live in. And thank you, Father, for... Uh, the nation that you've allowed us to be a part of and we pray for our country our nation is sick and sinful and uh, we're in trouble and the only hope we have is Christ and we pray father you would intervene and you would bring a spiritual awakening to our nation and salvation to our leaders and to our people and we pray that you would restore us and pray that you would bless our church family I thank you for the privilege that uh, we had yesterday morning of gathering as men in the church and uh, starting to study the book of Romans and pray that that would have a profound impact on each one of us and on the church even as a whole. Thank you for our Sunday school teachers and the work that they put into their lessons this morning and the way that they taught the word of God. And thank you for all of the people who attended and listened and learned And thank you, Lord, for this privilege we have to take your word and to open it up this morning and to grow by it. And we pray, Father, for those who don't know Christ, praying for their salvation, Lord. And we pray for believers to grow and pray that we would be holy and pray that we would be greater, uh, more filled with faith and we would be greater examples of faith. And we pray, Father, that this would not just be something for a Sunday morning, but that it would be all during the week. And we pray, Father, that you would bless us and meet our needs and fill us with the Holy Spirit, feed us on the Word of God, teach us and correct us and be patient with us and let us bring glory and honor to your name in everything that we do, say and think and even in the way we respond to this time in the Word this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you will uh, open your Bibles this morning, as we always do, we always want to be in the Word of God, and we want to be uh, looking at the Word, and we want to uh, make sure that the Word of God dwells richly within us. And this morning, we are uh, finished looking at David at this point, and so I'd like for you to turn to the book of 2 Thessalonians. And I want to talk to you this morning about an introduction for the discerning. We uh, live in a time where we can get anything, anytime, anywhere. And that's not always good. Because I'm afraid that there are far too many people that are ingesting false doctrine and listening to false teachers just because they can. And you see it on the internet. If you're on social media, there are different sayings and quotes and memes and you may go oh well that's good and you have no idea where it came from who said it or what the intent is on it can you imagine how confusing it would be if you were back in the first century and had the way of uh, communicating that we have now and all the resources available because while it can be very very good you can get virtually any sermon by any preacher some of them have been dead for a long time but their sermons are still available online and you can be very very blessed by that but at the same time you can still get all of the junk and all of the poison and all of the false doctrine that's out there as well and the internet is a purveyor of a lot of good things and a lot of helpful things but it's also the purveyor of a lot of evil things and a lot of poisonous things and destructive things now when we look and think about the Thessalonian believers and we think about part of the problem that they had was somebody apparently had 
written them and said, uh, this is what Paul wants you to know. And they were lying about all of that. It was uh, a lie. It was false. It was misleading them. Can you imagine that since they were baby Christians, you remember that Paul went there after he had been at Philippi and he was only in Thessalonica for about three or four weeks and then he had to leave because of persecution. And uh, so these people had just barely been saved. Now can you imagine, had they been exposed to somebody like a Stephen Furtick or somebody like that, how confused they would be? Can you imagine if they were hearing something uh, from Mormonism or something like that, how confusing that would be. Or if Jehovah's Witnesses were knocking on their doors, how confused they would be because all of these people will talk about Jesus and they might even quote some scripture, but they twist it and there's a slant put into it that is wrong and that is bad and that is misleading. And uh, can you imagine how terrible it would be? So Paul feels the need to write back to them a second letter, and he says in verse 1, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We are bound to thank God always for you, uh, brethren, as it is Fitting, And that's always, we should always be thankful for one another and for the people that are in the family of God because they're in the family of God by the call of God and by the grace of God and by the sovereign will of God. It's not accidental or anything like that. And so uh, we ought to always be thankful and we are to in everything give thanks. And so Paul is expressing that to them. But in these first three verses... I see some things and some questions that we today ought to be like the Berean Christians where we search the scriptures to see whether these things are true and we ought to always be checking out everything. I tell you fairly regularly, check me out. Make sure that I'm accurately portraying the word of God. Check your Sunday school teachers out and uh, by all means, check out the people that you listen to on the radio or the things that you watch or read on the internet, make sure that they line up with the Word of God because there are, Jesus warned us, that we're to be careful because there are false brethren and there are false prophets and there are even false Christs that are out there. And he wouldn't say that if it weren't necessary. And so we've got to be very careful. And there's a significant part of the New Testament where they warn against false teachers, false prophets and in uh, the book of acts when paul met with the ephesian elders one of the things he said is you're not going to see my face anymore and that really shook him up and then he said after my departure savage wolves will arise among you they're not all on the outside they will be inside the church even and uh, you've got to be aware of those things and jesus told us that we're going out into the world and we're going out as sheep among wolves and uh, that's not a good position to be in unless you have a shepherd watching over you and protecting you the shepherd lays down his life for the sheep and that of course is what Christ has done for us and so when I look at these verses that we have read I want to uh, ask you some questions to help you discern some things. And the first question would be, number one, who is behind it? And what is the source of this? Now, when we look at this, we know that right up front, Paul doesn't say, I'm writing to you and you have no idea who I, is, of who I am. Of course they knew who he was. And of course they knew the other people. There's Paul and there's Silvanus, and there's also Timothy. And as we think about those people, first of all, we know the Apostle Paul. He's the former Pharisee that was very self-righteous and hated the church and hated believers and was on his way to Damascus with letters of authorization from the high priest to persecute and imprison believers, and even some of them were put to death. And uh, he was the one when Stephen 
the godly deacon was stoned. He's the one who gave consent to all of that and held the cloaks of the people who were dropping rocks on Stephen. This is the guy who uh, wanted to wipe out Christ and every memory of Christ and every vestige of Christianity that he possibly could. He absolutely hated it. And he tells us later on the reason that he hated it is because he was such a good person in his own eyes. He was self-righteous. He was moral. He was right. He was following the true religion. And he couldn't see that he was a sinner. He couldn't see that everything he did was tainted by sin. And he even says to the Philippians, I had to have a righteousness that was not my own. An alien righteousness. It had to come from someplace else. And it can't come from just any old person or any old situation or by trying harder or doing better. The world is filled with people who are doing better and trying harder and yet they never attain what God demands which is absolute perfection. And we all would be able to say amen to the fact that we're not perfect and all you have to do is look at yourself and look at the people around you and even the people you live with and the people you love the most. And you can see that not a one of us has attained perfection. So how is it that if God demands it, that we are going to get it? And God solved that problem for us in a most amazing and exciting way. He became flesh, lived that perfect life for us, and then went to the cross where God the Father punished the Lord Jesus Christ in our place for our sins. And Jesus bore it in his body and he perfectly fulfilled the law of God and he also took the wrath of God that we deserve and rose from the dead and is now seated at the right hand of God the Father and anyone who will surrender to him as Lord and trust in him as the full payment for their sins, the Bible says they will be saved. And by being saved, we mean they will be born again, they'll receive a new nature, the Holy Spirit will come to live and indwell them permanently. And on the record books of heaven, the righteousness of Christ will actually be under your name. And you will be righteous, perfectly righteous, because of what the Son has done for you. And it's not what we do, it's what He has done for us. And we are imperfect followers of God. But don't worry so much about that because you have a perfect Savior and a perfect sacrifice who has secured you and takes care of you in your relationship with God. And that is really, really good news because our sins are many, as we sang earlier, but His mercy is more. In fact, it's infinite because of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if you get that right, then you can rest in the Lord. But Paul is writing to these people who have been stirred up by false prophets and people that were claiming to speak for Paul. And so Paul, this person who had been saved in Acts chapter 9 by the grace of God out of self-righteousness and Phariseeism, and he writes to these believers at Thessalonica, and they know him. He had been there before. He had preached to them. He had lived among them. They knew him. And then he not only says, this is a letter from me, but it is also from a man that is listed here as Silvanus, most likely the Greek name of the man named Silas that we know of. Now, what do we know about Silas? And why would these people be impressed by Silas? Silas was a leading figure in the early New Testament church. Silas is the one who accompanied the Apostle Paul on uh, missionary journeys. And he was also the one who was with the Apostle Paul in Philippi. He had been beaten. He had been imprisoned. And he's the one with Paul where they started singing hymns at midnight. And the earthquake took place and they were freed. And the Philippian jailer is... Uh, converted during that time they would know all of this but there's also something else that we need to think about in uh, the book of Acts chapter 15 verse 22 then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders in the early church at Jerusalem with the whole church 
to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. And they sent Judas called Barsabbas and Silas. And notice how it characterizes them. Leading men among the brothers. So Silas was not this unknown person. Silas was a very prominent person in the early church among the apostles, among the elders, and the entire church so that when they felt that it would be good to send people with Paul and Barnabas on their missionary journeys to verify things and to keep them accountable, they send Silas. And that's the man here listed in uh, this verse as Silvanus. Same guy, just a different name. A lot of people back then, because of the conquering empires, they had several different names. Under Alexander the Great, everybody received a Greek name. And then um, under the Romans, many times people would have a Roman name. And then if they happened to be Jewish, they would have a Hebrew name as well. And that's why you have Peter being also Cephas and also... um, What was the other name? Um, Simon, yeah. Uh, Senior moment, I'm entitled. I'm entitled. And so when you think about those, sometimes the reason you see those differently is whether it was the Roman name or the Greek name or the Hebrew name in there. And that's what Silvanus is. And he was this leading man, well thought of. So whenever the Thessalonian believers would read that, they would know Paul and they would know Silas, very well known. And then there's also Timothy. And Timothy is the one that in the very next chapter, Acts 16, that's where Paul takes Timothy and uh, he was a protege of the Apostle Paul. Paul was his mentor and he taught him. And Timothy is the one that his mother and grandmother were Jewish and they taught him the scriptures. And Paul says he learned the scriptures at uh, their feet. They taught him and uh, their faith impacted Timothy his father evidently was a Greek, well, it, it was a Greek indeed, a Gentile, but he also was an unsaved man. And so Timothy joins up with the team, and Timothy is well thought of in the, all of this um, as well. Now, in the book of 1 Thessalonians, in that first chapter, we find Paul saying, when we could bear it no longer, in other words, he was so concerned about what happened at Thessalonica Who does he send back? He said, we remained at Athens alone, but we sent Timothy there. So they knew Timothy was well-trusted and well-respected by the Apostle Paul. Plus, they knew him because he had come and lived among them to see how they were doing and how they were handling all of the persecution that they were uh, undergoing at that particular time. So... This identifies the source. This is not coming just from someone somewhere and, woo, I had a dream, I had a vision, and you better listen to this. They knew exactly where it was coming from. And so the first thing that you can do to be discerning is whenever you read a book, find out about the author. What is it that they come from? Where were they trained? What do they believe Whenever you find something on the internet and you go, oh, this looks really good, this is an intriguing title, or this is something that seems to be interesting and maybe accurate, find out where it comes from and know the source. There are so many times when people, like Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism, he just got this whole theology, he said, from angels and they were written on these gold plates, he said, and he had to put on the Urim and the Thummim in order to translate them, and uh, yet conveniently uh, never was able to produce the plates. They were lost, they were taken away from him, and uh, no other angel has ever been around to confirm what he had to say or anything. We're just supposed to trust him, even though nearly everything he said contradicts Holy Scripture. And yet we're just supposed to take that because he had a word from God. And there are any number of people today that will tell you that they have heard from God, that God told them, and you've got to go back to the word of God, but find out where they're coming from 
if you really want to be wise and discerning. Jesus said, whatever is born of flesh is flesh. And whatever is born of the Spirit is spirit. And the problem is there are many people that will claim that what they have comes from the Spirit, but it doesn't. It was conjured up in their mind, and it was for their own profit and all of that. We'll talk about that a little bit more in uh, just a moment. So you look at this and you realize that the Thessalonians could trust this by the very introduction because they had a relationship with these men and they knew the background and they knew the testimony of these men and their belief and their doctrine was clear. It was not vague and it was not something that was nefarious or had to be guessed at. You see, there are so many times when there are songs that you will hear today that you have to say, well, maybe there, and you have to kind of interpret the song and say, maybe it's not as bad as it looks. Maybe what they really meant is, and everything is so vague. And you have to do that sometimes with preachers and teachers. Well, I know they said that, and that's not exactly right, but maybe what they meant was, and uh, you find with the Apostle Paul, nothing was like that. Nothing was vague. Nothing was unclear. He was very pointed. He was very honest. He wasn't trying to mislead anybody. He wasn't trying to pressure anybody. He was just simply telling them the truth. And so um, these are men who are respected. They are trusted by the apostles back in Jerusalem, as well as by these churches. These are men who pay the price. They have been tested. They have remained strong. They've been beaten. They've been imprisoned. They've been shipwrecked, all of these kind of things. And yet nothing causes them to change their message or to back up on their calling or to abandon what they are doing. And so these are people who have stood the test of time. And I tell people every once in a while, if you really want to be careful, find yourself some good, sound, dead people. You know what I mean by that? Well, we with the men are looking at the uh, book of Romans, going through the commentary by Martin Lloyd-Jones. Martin Lloyd-Jones is dead. You know what I like about people that are dead? They don't change their message. They don't commit adultery. They don't become woke all of a sudden. Nothing like that at all. And so uh, when you read Puritans and when you read people, and I'm talking about good, sound people, it's uh, Spurgeon and people like that, it's good because they don't mess up and they don't uh, defect from the faith and they don't apostatize. And so that's one good thing about uh, people like that. But uh, just understand, you kind of have to know the source and know where these people are coming from. Okay, here's another question. Ask yourself this. Why should we receive this message? Is there a reason for it? Because there are a lot of people that come along now in our day, and it's like, uh, well, we know you've got your Bible, but we've got a new and improved theology. We've got a new and improved gospel. We've got a new and improved message. In fact, God has been sitting in heaven waiting for me to be born so that in 2023 I could tell you what he really meant after all of these years. Well, here's the bottom line is God said and revealed everything he wanted to reveal out of these 66 books of the Bible. And anything that comes in addition to that or claims to be an improvement on that is false. Go back to the Word of God, the holy, inerrant, infallible, all-sufficient, eternal Word of God, and stand on the Word. We used to sing as little kids the B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. And this is an important part. I stand alone on the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. And every cult and false theology and everything that comes out there, they cannot be substantiated by the Bible, and they know it, so they always have something extra. I know something you don't know. I found something you, a, a nobody like you, could ever, ever experience or find, but I am a man of God, and I know these things, and I'm telling you what God said. And it gets very... Very, very dangerous. So I ask myself this. Why do I need your improvement on the all-sufficient Word of God? 
Why do I need your improvement on the gospel that has been saving souls for 2,000 years? Why do I need your improvement on the church of the Lord Jesus Christ when the Bible tells us what the church is, what its function is, how it is supposed to operate, and what it is supposed to teach? I don't need a new and improved version. I can remember when I was a kid, I was watching a commercial one time, and these two ladies are talking about their laundry, which I suppose, you know, you must do all the time. That's the topic of everybody's most importance. How's your laundry? And uh, do you still use Tide? One said to the other, Oh, no, I don't use Tide anymore. And the other one, Act surprised and shocked. You don't use Tide? I thought you always used it. Well, what are you using? I use, picks up the box, new and improved Tide, right? And that's kind of the way it is where you watch that commercial and you go, well, that's cheesy. That's, we, we know what you meant. It's still Tide. And there are a lot of people that come up with this new and improved church. I uh, saw a slogan for a church. This is not your grandmother's church. Well, I'm not sure I would brag about that, right? It may not be the Apostle Paul's church either. And we don't want to improve the church. We want to settle in on what has been tried and true and what has been revealed by God in the Scripture and worship Him in spirit and in truth. And we want to join the generations that have gone before us, not separate or unhitch from them. We're all the people of God, and so we stand together in the faith once for all delivered to the saints, to quote Scripture again. In fact, why should the Thessalonians listen to this particular message? Well, the purpose of the book, number one, is to encourage them in view of uh, the report of the increasing persecution which they were facing. And so this is something they had to stand up against the persecution that was intensifying on them. And that is a difficult thing to do if you've ever been under persecution. Probably not like they have. But all who desire to live godly in this life will suffer persecution. You know what it's like to feel the scorn of other people. You know what it's like to feel the rejection of other people. You know what it is to feel other people when they argue against you and maybe in ways that you can't quite uh, defend. And it's embarrassing sometimes. And you can feel your face turning red and you just want to get out of there. Well, can you imagine what it was like for these baby Christians? They didn't have all the answers. They didn't even have the entire Bible. It had not been written yet. And they did not have all of the thousands of years of Christian history that we do to read and to learn and to grow and to know how to give a defense for what we believe. They didn't have that. And the persecution was also physical and probably at times it seemed unbearable. Why are we going through this? And so Paul writes this letter because they are being persecuted so severely and uh, they had heard about it and so he wants to minister to them. Secondly, we can also see that uh, this thing was written, this book was written to deal with the reports of a pseudo-Pauline letter. Somebody had written and signed Paul's name onto it, but they contradicted everything that Paul said, and that had to be uh, corrected, by the way. And uh, we're still in the midst of trying to correct false doctrine even as we live. We never get to a point to where we don't need to be on guard and things don't need to be confronted and things don't need to be uh, corrected. Let's see if I find my place here. Um, they were misrepresenting him. And thirdly, because uh, they had to deal with um, the way some were responding to a belief in the imminent return of the Lord. And they were taking that wrong. Instead of being ready for the Lord to come, they were checking out. And they were sponging off of other people and living off of their incomes. And they were putting on their white robes and sitting on top of the mountain and waiting for the Lord to come. And the doctrine of the second coming was never given so that you could check out and so that you could just 
leave it all up to everybody else to support you or anything. And that's what was happening. And it's in this book we're going to read that uh, phrase about uh, where Paul said to them, If someone will not work, neither shall he... Can you finish it? Shall he eat? Yeah. And so uh, these people, it wasn't that they couldn't work... They weren't working, and they were using the second coming of Christ. Well, I, I can't be working, and I can't have my hands dirty in that kind of work. I'm waiting for Jesus to return. And it sounds pious and sanctimonious, but they were misusing all of that, and Paul wanted to correct that, and he wanted to put everything back into order. And so those are three good reasons for listening to this message. Because when God gives a message, he has a purpose for it. It's not just given willy-nilly or for to whom it may concern or whatever. He's got an audience and he's got a message. And he's got it where it specifically addresses the needs that are in that congregation. And whenever the Holy Spirit is dealing with you, he doesn't just simply whisper in your ear, you're not quite right, something's wrong. He nails it as to what your problem is where your sin is and what you need to do. And he draws you back to the Lord for repentance. Well, the Thessalonians were getting all messed up because people were claiming to be of God, but they weren't. And people were taking various doctrines and twisting them and misusing them for their own nefarious purposes. And so why should they listen? Because they were in error. They were in sin. Because they needed encouragement. Because they needed instruction. Because they needed help just as we do today, from the Word of God. And so uh, when you get into chapter 1, you find that Paul deals with the idea of suffering because of their persecution. When you get into chapter 2, you find that they were being shaken from their composure in terms of the second coming of Christ and the day of the Lord and what some people had lied to them about it. And then when you get to chapter 3, it's all very practical about day-to-day -day life in light of the coming of the Lord. What are we supposed to do and how are we supposed to handle that? Are we supposed to just get together and sit here in the auditorium and just say, we're going to wait for the Lord to come and let the government support us and other people, wealthy people in the church support us? Or are we supposed to be living our lives, raising our children, working for the food that we get and providing shelter for our families and all of that. And Paul would say, of course, that it is the latter that we are to do. We're to live our lives while we wait on the Lord. And uh, Paul even said uh, in, to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 17, For we are not, like so many, peddlers of God's word. And that's the thing that we find today. People are using the Bible as a moneymaker, almost like a multi-level marketing scheme to get your tithes and offerings and to get uh, anything else they can from you so that they can become rich. And uh, well, Kenneth Copeland actually brags to reporters that he's a billionaire, if you can imagine. And uh, all of that is to show that he's a better man of God than any of the rest of us because look how God is blessing us. Well, the Thessalonians probably had the other problem that they were wondering, where are we? We're being imprisoned and we're being persecuted and we're suffering. What are we doing wrong? What are we doing wrong? And so there was a need for the message. So whenever somebody comes up and they say, we've got a New Testament, a new a uh, revelation of Christ, a new understanding of this. And you need to ask yourself, where does this come from? And secondly, and why do I need it in light of what God's already given me through His Holy Word? You've got everything you need in your Bible. And so this is directed to a particular audience, and it's directed to believers, and it's for the glory of God and for their good, and it's sinners upon Jesus Christ. Nobody is profiting from it. Nobody is making millions from it. It's not anything like that at all. Thirdly, let's uh, ask this question. How clear is their gospel and their doctrine? How clear? Because there are a lot of people that are purporting to be men of God 
and they don't know what they're talking about. What they say doesn't square with Scripture, and it's clear that they don't understand the gospel of the grace of God. And Paul writes here to these believers just in this introduction that this is about the grace to you and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ. And you'll find that a lot of cults and people, they will always attack the idea of grace. They will say you are saved by what you do. They'll say you're saved by giving them money. They'll say you're saved by what you experience. They'll say that you are saved by uh, the uh, charitable deeds that you do and all of those kind of things. I remember somebody said to me one time, I really admire the dedication of the Jehovah's Witness movement. I said, how's that? And I said, well, they knock on more doors than I do. And uh, I said, well, let's think about that. Why are they doing it? And where did this all come from? And we began to talk about Charles Taze Russell, the founder of that movement, what he believed and where he came from and what he was teaching. And I said, don't admire too much because they're not knocking on, their, on your door because they care about you. They're knocking on your door because that's how they get into paradise. So it's not really about their love for Christ or their love for you. It's about themselves. And that's the way so many of these cults do. They mess up grace. And it's not that God gives you freely uh, through faith and through grace you're the undeserved and unmerited favor of God through Jesus Christ. No, you have to work for it. You have to perform right. You have to support the system and all of that or you're not going to be in. And uh, every cult and false teaching starts tinkering and messing with grace. You know that he says grace to you in peace. And so many of them, you remember the temptation of Jesus when the devil said, let me show you all the kingdoms of the world. And if you'll bow down, I'll give all of those to you. I'm not sure he had that authority. But uh, the truth is, Christ is going to rule the world one of these days. All those kingdoms will be his. And uh, it's as if the devil was saying to him, look, forget about the cross. Forget about the pain. Forget about the suffering. Forget about paying for sin. Let's skip the cross and go ahead and get the crown. And that's what so many false teachers want you to do. They want you to have all of the benefits. And for some of them, they teach on some things that are going to happen in heaven. But they say it can happen now. One of them said, I'm not going to wait for pie in the sky by and by. I want my pie now. And you can have it too. And so they always want us to skip anything else and just... Get it all now. Go for the gusto even now. And peace only comes after grace, folks. And there's only one way to get the peace of God, and that is to repent of your sins, and that is to trust in Christ fully and surrender your life to His Lordship, whatever His will is. And as you do that, then you will have peace with God. Grace to you and peace. And he says that it is... From God, you don't manufacture it, and it doesn't come from the apostle or anybody else. It comes from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's a little bit, even though he mentions only two, the idea of God the Father and Jesus Christ being equal. And you'll find that most of the cults will try to take Jesus Christ away from being God. He's just a man, or he is some sort of a phantom or a figment of imagination but he's not God and he's not Lord. And Paul affirms all of these things as he tells these people why it is that they should listen to him and hear the uh, message. First, uh, first, second Corinthians, pardon me, 11, 3 and 4. Paul says to the Corinthian believers, and his concern would be the same for the Thessalonians as well as for us. But I am afraid that as the serpent tempted or deceived Eve by his cunning, that your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaim to you and receive a different spirit from the one that you received, or if you accept a different gospel 
than the one you accepted, that you may well put up with it and do it readily enough. Now, what is he saying? That whenever you deviate from the gospel and from the truth, it's because there's a different Jesus, there's a different spirit, and it's not the Holy Spirit, and a different gospel, a different way of salvation. All of these things are still happening today. And people are going, oh, it's God, it's God, and it's not. Many times it's uh, demonic activity. Oh, it's Jesus. Oh, praise Jesus. But it's not the Jesus of the Bible. And they just get everything all messed up, completely messed up. And that's why you've got to be careful. And so Paul is writing this, and he's telling them why that he is writing this. Because salvation is through grace alone, and it's by faith alone, and it's according to the Scripture alone, and it's for God's glory alone and through Christ alone. And when you get those things right, you're going to be centered in on the way God works and what the Bible teaches. And then, uh, fourthly, think about this. Do they see themselves as superior? Well, we're the special group. We're the group with something you don't have. Oh, you poor Baptist. You don't, I've, I've had people say before, well, you Baptist, you don't have the Holy Spirit. Well, in Romans chapter 8, it says, If any man hath not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. You know what that means? The moment you are saved, the Spirit of God comes to indwell you. You don't need a second dose. He doesn't come on the installment plan. A little bit here and a little bit here and a little bit here. And when you get saved, you confess Jesus as Lord. I heard a famous celebrity say one time, Well, in 1971, I accepted Jesus as my Savior. But in 1979, I made Him Lord. Well, first of all, you don't make Jesus Lord. And secondly, if He's not Lord of your life, you didn't get saved. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth, what? The Lord Jesus. And believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. But the cults and the false teachers like to divide all of that kind of stuff up instead of seeing it as it is being together. And uh, that is for the glory of God. And that's how uh, we, of course, are saved. And the cults and the false teachers... They see themselves as, we're superior. We've got something you don't have, and we know something you don't know, and we live on a higher plane than you do. Where the Bible says in Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free or any of that, but all in all is in Christ. We are equal in Christ. There's no superiority. Paul didn't even put himself as being superior to them. In fact, he says... In here, uh, we are bound to thank God always for you, brethren. They were in the same family. They were related together. And he says, as it is fitting. And so there's nothing where he's putting himself above them. We are all part of the same family of God. We have the same gospel. We have the same Christ. We have the same spirit. We have the same Bible. And we all are in unity on that. And uh, Paul was thankful for them. He saw them as family. And he was rejoicing in them and in their growth and in the fact that they stood. But uh, to quote John Piper, false teachers are all about power, sex, and money. And that's why there's so much scandal in all of those things. And when you start looking, you start uncovering all of this stuff. And it is horrible. And uh, we find that Peter spoke about this, false prophets and teachers, in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. And this is really important to understand and explains a lot about the scandals that we find ourselves in. But false prophets are those among the people. They kind of creep in and they sneak in and they act like one of us. And uh, he says, just as there will be also false teachers among you who will secretly, secretly bring in destructive heresies. Now, I can't say this publicly, they'll say, but I found something out and 
God revealed this to me and God told me this and an angel said this and my dream and vision said this and then you're supposed to believe it and you can't even verify whether they had a dream or not. You have no idea, but you're supposed to believe them. They will secretly sneak in among you with destructive heresies, even denying the master. In other words, they're anti-authority. They're going to grab the power for themselves. The master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality. And that word sensuality, when it's used in the New Testament, always has to do with sexual sin. And so there you go. You find that they're interested in money and in power. And that they will do anything they can to get influence and to control you. And to run your life and to make you do what they say. And they will do it so they can get your money. And there's almost always some type of sexual scandal going on behind the scenes, Peter says. Sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you. With false words. What is their greed for? That's the money part of it. And their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. In other words, it's already in motion. You remember Jesus said, Those who don't believe are not going to be condemned, they are condemned already, the Bible says. And so when we look at these things and we see what Paul was doing, as a loving pastor, as a loving shepherd, as a loving apostle, and as a loving brother, he is identifying himself, the people that he's with, and the source of where this message is coming from. And the Thessalonians could say, oh, we've seen them, we know them, we understand them. These are true men of God. And then he tells them why he's writing. They were being attacked. They were being persecuted. There were people that were lying to them. And so he had a purpose in writing this epistle. And the purpose was not to enrich his bank account. The purpose was not that he might gain a following. The purpose was that they might be protected and that they might be well fed. You can see that in there. And then you can find that his gospel and his doctrine was clear, centered upon Christ, true to the word of God, and it was a gospel of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, based on the word of God for the glory of Christ alone. All of those solas of the Reformation would be included in all of that. And then we find that when he wrote to them, he was not writing to them as a superior as a special group and a special class of people he was writing saying hey i'm a brother with you i call you my brother and i give thanks for you and we're in this together and i want this for your blessing and for your well-being and all of these things ought to describe all of us when we witness to somebody they ought to know who we are and be able to see that we are the real thing and they ought to be able to know why we witness to them. We care about them. And they're going to hell without Jesus Christ. And we're motivated. And the love of Christ compels us in all of that. And it ought to be that when we share the gospel, we just don't say, oh, go to church or talk to somebody. We can share with them. You are a sinner. And because you have sinned, you have eternal destruction awaiting for you in hell. But God in his love and mercy and grace sent his son to die in our place and to bear the wrath of God that we would have in hell so that we could have eternal life when we submit to him as Lord. It ought to be very, very clear and not anything that just leaves him. As long as you believe in something and as long as you believe in God and as long as you think church is cool, then you're going to heaven. No, there's a specific here. And then it ought to be that they know that when we come to them, we are not smart people telling them as dumb people what they need to know. We are coming to them as a fellow struggler, as a fellow sinner who has been saved by the grace of God. You see how it works? And when you do that, you have credibility with them and they know that you care about them. You're not just, you know, collecting uh, whatevers for uh, your own benefit 
or some other reason or something like that. You really do love them and you love God and you want them to know the message of Christ. This is what Paul is getting across to all of them. And hopefully you know that whenever your Sunday school teacher teaches and whenever your pastor preaches to you, it's the same thing. You've been watching us now, Sammy and me, for 26 years. You've seen us raise our children. You've seen the way that we live. You've seen the fruit of our life and even the fruit of our ministry. You've heard me teach all of these years. And it's basically the same thing. There may be some difference in understanding and growth over the years. I sure hope so. But you can see all of that. And all of these things ought to be clear. And this is why you need to be careful who you listen to, what you might receive, and what you might make, or who you might make a spiritual hero, because you could be in some real trouble if you're not careful, and you don't want to do that. Does that make sense? And this is what Paul is doing just in this introduction, probably a little more than you wanted to know, but at least you see now that Every part of the Word of God is important. Even these introductions, they're not just something we skip over. Yeah, I know, I know, no, all of that. No, they all are important, and they all mean something. And my prayer today is, if you do not know Christ as your Savior and Lord, will you trust Him today and receive Him? And if you have received Him, will you please be careful what you are eating spiritually? A lot of people are being poisoned tricked and messed up and they're unhealthy spiritually because they're not feeding on the word of God a poor sermon by a weak preacher is infinitely better than a great presentation by a wolf in sheep's clothing okay they do not have your best interest at heart and God does and that's why he had Paul write this letter under the inspiration of the Spirit. And that's why it's not just for the Thessalonians. It's preserved for Graceway Baptist Church today. And this is what we want to feed on and what we want to live by. Can we pray together? Father, we realize that as well as sheep, we are defenseless against the wolves. We need you, O oh great shepherd, to protect us. And we need to have your word as a sword. And we need to have the armor of God on. And we need to know the truth that sets us free. And we need to live by the truth so that we can live for the glory of God. We can't just be like a little baby crawling on the floor, eating anything that we see, putting everything into our mouth. Oh, Father, help us to be wise. Help us to be discerning. Help us to understand and to know and to uh, be uh, solid in the truth that you have delivered to us and preserved for us in your holy word. And don't let us be led astray. Don't let us be led into a grab for power or a grab for money or a grab for sexual pleasure like the false teachers. Keep us true and keep us straight. Keep us um, um, to be where we need to be so that we don't disgrace ourselves, disgrace you, disgrace our family, or disgrace the church. God help us and God protect us. And we pray you would do this for your glory. And we pray you would do it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.